You are listening to the Aesthetic Vibes podcast and I'm your host, Amy. I have a background working in a corporate environment for over 15 years. I'm a doctor, a lecturer, a lawyer and a published author. This podcast is a look inside my brain. I cover relevant and totally irrelevant topics, ranging from self-help and advice to the spooky and scary, a little bit of true crime, mental health. I also like to tell some stories along the way. My goal is to spread aesthetic vibes whilst discussing these topics. I do like to end each episode with a lighter note, usually something completely ridiculous. Okay, with all that being said, let's hang out. today's episode. I think there is a common misunderstanding and stigma attached to the terms anxiety and depression. So today I'm going to discuss both in more detail. Um, it's, It's a very educational based podcast today and I will provide some tips and hints on how I effectively deal with both anxiety and depression. Please note, disclaimer, I'm not a medical professional and I am simply sharing information that I have found and I'll explain where I found it from and some of my own personal experiences. Okay, let's go. Let's start off with the basics. I am going to define what is and what isn't anxiety and depression. So let's kick off with anxiety. I do want to preface with it is so important that we aren't using these terms to describe general feelings. And I've discussed this before in other episodes, specifically dealing with the concept OCD. We have people that say, oh, you know, I have OCD. I need all my shoes to face the same way. Or the volume on the TV needs to be an even number or whatever it might be. That alone is not OCD. OCD is debilitating and can be very, very serious. It can have an intense impact on an individual's life. And there is a formal definition for OCD. And it's not just simply a preference for certain things. It is completely debilitating. You have no option. You're forced to do things. Um, Otherwise, you think that, you know, your family might die or your house is going to burn down, whatever it might be. So using the term I have OCD just to refer to a preference simply isn't appropriate. The same stands for anxiety and depression. So what is used to actually diagnose anxiety and depression? We have this thing called the DSM-5. So that is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders in the 5th edition. This is a manual that outlines psychological conditions, including traits of diagnosis. The DSM-5 actually has a formal diagnosis for anxiety. And there are a few elements that need to come together for the diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. Okay, so let's unpack. Anxiety is broken down into several parts and these parts come together to form the disorder. So the first is part A, which is an excessive anxiety and worry occurring more than not for at least six months. 
and it's about a number of events or activities. So note, this is not short term. This is long term excessive anxiety and worry. So part B is the person finds it difficult to control the worry. Part C is the anxiety and worry are associated with three or more of the following six symptoms. So we've got restlessness or feeling on edge, easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating, or maybe the mind goes blank constantly, an irritability, a muscle tension, and sleep disturbance. Whether that is falling asleep, staying asleep, (laughs) getting to sleep, or restless, unsatisfying sleep. Part D is the disturbance is not better explained by another medical disorder. So for example, uh, panic attacks in panic disorder or negative evaluation in social anxiety disorder. Part E is the anxiety, worry or physical symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social occupational or other important areas of functioning. The key word there, clinical. Part F is the disturbance is not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance. So drug abuse, uh, alcoholism, and so forth. What is clear here is the layered diagnosis of anxiety. An important and big takeaway from this is anxiety is not stress or just having an awkward or uncomfortable feeling. It is persistent and it holds many defining aspects. I remember working in workers' compensation many, many years back now, and people would send in medical certificates, work cover certificates for time off for work-related stress. This is not a diagnosable condition under the DSM-5 manual. This is because we all feel stress at one time or another. This is a a normal feeling. In addition, stress is not measurable. What I mean by that is, how would you measure my stress against yours? We have different thresholds. We have different thought process. We have different impacts. So to say that your stress is greater than mine, how would you do that? How would you be able to effectively do that and say someone's stress is worth worse than another's. It's impossible, right? So the short definition is anxiety as an excessive worry and apprehensive expectations occurring more days than not for at least six months about a number of events or activities. Anxiety can be described as the body's physical response to a threat or perceived threat and it causes this um, pounding heart, rapid breathing. You often get butterflies in the stomach, a burst of energy here and there, maybe some mental responses. Um, but everybody experiences anxiety in some form from time to time. It is extremely common and one of the most common mental health concerns globally. Let's talk briefly about the types of anxiety disorders because there's actually a few different types. So first we have generalized anxiety disorder. This is one of the most common and this is excessive worry about everyday life that can affect the quality of your life. Generalized anxiety disorder is characterized by chronic anxiety, exaggerated worry and tension, even when there is nothing 
to provoke it. So that's generalized anxiety disorder. We have social anxiety disorder, which is characterized by overwhelming anxiety and excessive self-consciousness in everyday social situations. So it's this social phobia that can be limited to different types of situations, such as a fear of speaking in formal or informal situations, uh, a fear of eating or drinking in front of others, or in its most severe form, it can be broad enough that the person experiences symptoms almost every time they're around somebody else. With social anxiety, there are symptoms such as fatigue, restlessness, irritability, along with maybe having difficulty making eye contact, a rigid body posture, feelings of self-consciousness, or a fear that people are going to judge you negatively. There's also panic disorder, and some of these symptoms uh, overlap with generalized anxiety disorder, but this can include physical signs such as excessive sweating, a racing heartbeat, chest pain, a feeling of impending doom, feeling out of control, Basically, a panic disorder is an anxiety disorder and is characterized by unexpected and repeated episodes of intense fear, along with those physical symptoms that I mentioned. So it's those heart palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness, and so forth. Also within the anxiety family, we have the obsessive compulsive disorder. This is characterized by reoccurring unwanted thoughts or obsessions and repetitive behaviors or more effectively described as compulsions. So it's things like repeated hand washing, counting, checking, uh, cleaning. These actions hopefully prevent the obsessive thoughts or make them go away. However, not usually the case. They become part of a ritual and they only provide temporary relief. So not performing them each and every time increases anxiety. So see how that is not simply a preference. It is things that are completely compulsive that can't be contained. Another in the family is PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is a disorder that can develop after exposure to terrifying events or a single event or an ordeal in which there was physical harm occurred or being threatened traumatic events can also trigger PTSD. Okay, great. So we've got anxiety and it's family of conditions, but what actually causes anxiety? So it's a combination of things. It could be developmental, psychological, environmental, genetic, uh, running in the family, stressful or traumatic events, such as illness, violence, losing someone. But ideally, anxiety disorder is complex and layered and it requires help from a professional. Professionals generally use either medication or psychology or a combination of the both. The thing I want to point out is medication uh, for psychological disorders isn't a bad thing. Too often people look at it and they go, oh, you know, the doctor's prescribed me medication. This is the worst possible outcome. This is not true. Medication can be the difference between functioning and not functioning. Another frustrating element of medication is people claiming the medication hasn't worked. In some instances, they might take it for a couple of weeks, uh, up to maybe four weeks, and then they go, it's not working, and they stop taking it. 
Medication can take a considerable amount of time before it is effectively built up in the body to start working because your body has to go from having zero of it up to the recommended dosage and this can be progressive. So stopping your medication at any point in time might mean that it's going to impact your treatment and then you'll have to go back to the drawing board and start all over again. So treatment is not complete until your health provider advises it is and you are safe to not be on that medication. Anxiety can be short-lived uh, or chronic. So when I when I use the word chronic, this is not a level of severity. It is in fact ongoing. So chronic when it comes to mental illness refers to ongoing. At times we can tell what has triggered the anxiety and other times we have no idea. So now that we have a view on truly what anxiety is, it's really important now to understand how to break the cycle. So there's a few things that I personally do when I'm feeling particularly anxious. There are many other things. You can Google it and come up with a list of generic stuff. However, these are more specific aspects that have helped me at one point or another. One thing that I like to do, and one thing I force myself to do, is stop talking about it. It's the same when I have like a cold or maybe I've got some sort of other illness or I'm in pain. I don't sit around talking about it and I try not to think about it because it only makes the feelings amplified. Whereas if you're kind of put recognizing and then putting it to the side and going to yourself, okay, I have to focus on other things, it can often start to fade into the background. So that's not to say uh, squash the feelings and pretend they don't exist. It's simply, you know what, let's not make this the center of the universe. Let's try to move on and keep ourselves distracted. You actually can train your brain to understand what triggers anxiety. Uh, this is called changing the brain pathways. So you can actually train your mind to see and recognize triggers and then move into a different space. So it's really about firstly understanding those triggers and then preparing for them. I have a problem with keeping my hands still and keeping my mind still. So for my hands, they need to keep moving. I have purchased an anxiety ring. So it sits on my, um, bloody hell, my left... <laughs> Uh, for those who have been around for a while, you would know I do not know how to tell my left from my right. This ring sits on my left thumb and what I do is I spin the ring. This helps with not picking at your hands because I have a tendency to pick at my nails and to pick at my hands. Um, I used to wear uh, like press-ons to prevent that, but yeah, they're just they're not ideal all the time. So um, I actually have a ring and it's got like three spinners on it, which actually helps me kind of focus on something that um, takes my mind off being anxious. So when I like to keep my brain moving, I might put a game on or something super low maintenance to keep my mind focused, but not overly stimulated. So I might put something on like, uh, you know, I've got a Nintendo Switch, so I might put like Tetris on. Um, I might put, you know, Super Mario something on that I've played a million times. I know it inside out, but it kind of keeps my brain ticking and my hands busy. I listen to ASMR. I get it. It doesn't work for everybody and there's people that don't like it, but it works for me. So for those who don't know, ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. 
it is basically sounds. These sounds can be calming and focus the brain on other things rather than the anxiety being felt. So it's basically a reaction to sounds. For me, it's highly relaxing. There are certain ones that don't work for me, like people eating loudly and all that kind of crap. The ones that work for me are like the tapping um, and and other kind of breathing sounds or lip sounds, um, which really help me focus on something else and relax. The other thing is knowing there is uncertainty in this world. Allowing your mind to accept there is just stuff that is uncertain. We cannot control everyone and everything. There is a lot that's outside of our control. So it's realizing that and then being comfortable enough to put that to the side and go, you know what? There is just shit that's outside of my control. So this goes like the same, right? If someone doesn't like you, how will you change someone's thinking? Most of the time you can't. It's outside of your control. So what do you do? You don't associate with that person. You move on. It's stuff you can't change. The same goes for things outside of your control. Accept it. There are things that, are, that you can't control. Okay, cool. Well, I have to move on. I can't stress about it because I can't do anything about it. It's also really important that we're not there going, oh, I've got depression because my mom had it or my dad had it or my brother has it or whatever it might be. No. <laughs> By blaming genetics, you are reinforcing an idea that it is what it is. There's not much that can be done about it. This is not true. This is so far from the truth. Do not blame genetics. Take responsibility for it. Don't try to palm it off and just be like, well, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. No, you don't have to be. Um, and the last one for me is music. Um, keeping my brain busy. I love listening to music. So I will put some music on to completely distract myself play it at the highest possible <laughs> volume range um, and just try to kind of disengage from these feelings of anxiousness that are rising. It's really important that we're using terms correctly and anxiety is no different. So throwing around words freely with no real understanding of them actually downplays the condition and those who truly suffer from the disorder. So make sure that if you are using the term or maybe people around you are using it, that it's actually being used correctly. I have suffered with anxiety for as long as I can remember and I have triggers and I know what they are. So I'll share a couple with you. Um, and look, I encourage you, you might think they're stupid, but for me, these triggers cause a real sense of anxiety that is almost outside of my control. I do have to rationalize with myself and calm myself down in most instances, but the first one is driving somewhere unknown or even remotely known and needing to park my car when I don't really know the parking situation. I get so stressed about what do I do with my car. And for the most part, I struggle to park my car. <laughs> so it's already hard enough, right? So if there's limited parking and there's only difficult parks, what the hell do I do with my car? So I have a tendency of leaving early, an additional 30 minutes early, so I can sort parking. So I had to go to Newtown, um, which is a uh, little city, city? Suburb. It's a suburb in uh, Sydney. I had been there once, but I didn't drive. Sean drove. So I had to go by myself and I left with over an hour for like a 
maximum 30 minute drive just because I had no idea what the parking situation was. I got there and I found a park super easy, super quick. But it's the whole, it stresses me out to the point of, there are instances where I actually question myself and go, should I go or should I just cancel? Because I just don't know if I'm going to get there. And then off the back of that, I worry about being on time or early for any appointments or meetings that I have. Because if I struggle with parking and I can't sort that out in that 30 minute window, that's going to push onto the appointment time, which is then going to basically demonstrate to others that I don't have any consideration for the appointment or whatever it is. And I'm going to be late and they might not be able to do everything that I've asked. So it's this, I've always got to be early because I don't ever want to put anybody out. It's like running late to an appointment and then impacting that person's rest of the day. Another one for me is meeting new people, whether it's parties, events, whatever, weddings, whatever. So yeah, I really struggle with meeting new people. You can live with anxiety and still function. It does take time to recognize the signs and symptoms and to move towards options that reduce the feeling. Okay, let's move to depression, which is another term thrown around way too lightly. Okay, so let's head back to the DSM-5 for our formal definition of depression. Okay, so the DSM-5 actually refers to depression under the term of major depressive episode or disorder. But there are criteria, again, that need to be met. And it must be at least five of these, right? So the first is A1, which is a depressed mood indicated by subjective report or observation of others. A2 is a loss of interest or pleasure in almost all activities, and this is indicated by subjective report or observation by others. A3 is significant, more than 5% in a month of unintentional weight loss or gain or a decrease or increase in appetite. A4 is sleep disturbance, whether that's insomnia or hypersomnia. A5 is psychomotor changes, so agitation severe enough to be observed by others. A6 is tiredness, fatigue, low energy, decreased efficiency with routine tasks. A7 is a feeling of worthlessness, excessive, inappropriate or delusional guilt. A8 is an impaired ability to think, concentrate or make decisions. And again, this is either by subjective report or observation by others. We've got A9, which is recurrent thoughts of death. That's not just a fear of dying, but suicidal ideation or attempts. The symptoms can cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational or other important areas of functioning. So again, these symptoms are not due to direct physiological effects of substance, i.e. drugs, alcohol and so forth. It's also important that the symptoms do not meet the criteria for a mixed episode or manic episodes or hypomanic episodes. So, (laughs) Ah, one last thing, the symptoms cannot be accounted for by bereavement. So if you've lost someone and you're sad, that is not going to meet the criteria. It needs to persist for longer than two months. 
Okay, so there's a lot there, right? This, so depression within itself is a very common serious mood disorder. It can cause severe symptoms that affect how you feel, think, and handle everyday activities, such as really simple stuff like sleeping, eating, or working. To be diagnosed with depression, the symptoms need to be prolonged. As with anxiety and its family of disorders, depression is much the same. There are different types of depression. So we've got a major depressive episode, which usually includes symptoms of depression for greater than two weeks with an interference with one's ability to work, study, sleep, eat, whatever. Persistent depressive episode is another one, and this often includes less severe symptoms of depression, but they last a lot longer, typically for at least two years. We've got prenatal depression, and this is a major depressive episode during or after delivery of said baby. And we've got seasonal affective disorder, which comes and goes with the seasons. And this is apparently (laughs) starts in late autumn and early winter, and it goes away during the spring and summer, which I find very interesting. We've also got depression with symptoms of psychosis. So maybe um, delusions, disturbing or false fixed beliefs, hallucinations and things like that. So depression, as you can see, goes significantly deeper then this feeling of being down or sad. And there again is this prolonged feeling that remains constant over time. Again, treatment for depression is usually one or a combination of medication and psychological treatments. If you see a psychologist or psychiatrist for either of these conditions, they are going to go back to the DSM-5 and compare against each of these criteria where you sit. And like I said, there's a criteria that needs to be met. It's not as simple as, you know, waking up and going, oh, I have depression today. That's that's not how it works. You just are feeling sad potentially, unless it's been, in, you know, an excessive amount of time. Okay, great. So we now have the educational basis <laughs> to know how and when to use these words. So I've suffered with depression pretty much my entire life and it can be really debilitating when it comes to living your everyday. There are periods of time where it can be next to impossible to do anything. So here are some of the things that have worked for me when I've been experiencing depression. So the first thing I do is go back to my treatment provider. That'll be the first thing. I get on the phone, I contact her and I say, hey, Dr. X, we need to have a chat these are my issues. I like to do nice things for myself as well. So whether that's treating myself to something or whatever it might be, just doing something nice for myself. Um, I also have the conversation with my husband and I'll say, look, um, I'm experiencing, like, I feel really depressed. These are the symptoms. Um, it's kind of flared up today. And then he will kind of say, all right, well, let's, um, let's go do something. Let's go grab a meal. Let's go for a walk. And I shared that with my treatment provider. And she said, one of the best ways to push through the feelings is having someone that says, come on, get up, let's go do something. I try to recognize the feelings and not dwell too much. If I focus on it, I become fixated. I like to watch random TV shows that I find comforting 
uh, whether it's reality TV or something that I've seen a thousand times, but this takes my mind off things. I really like horror as a genre, so I might watch, you know, some horror movies or a TV show or whatnot. Music, again, really helps with my headspace. Eating foods that I really like, but I think if all of this fails and, you know, you've tried all of these aspects, let yourself feel the feelings. Sometimes it is okay to lay as a lump on the couch or in your bed and do nothing. That is totally fine. So there's no easy fix. I have a tendency to keep things to myself. I'll share them with my husband, but I'm not going to advertise that I'm not feeling great to family and friends. I find having people ask over and over, how are you feeling? You know, what's going on? That is more stressful <laughs> than I actually need at that point in time. I am also like this with most things. So say something amazing potentially could be happening or something that I've been, you know, dying to happen, whatever it might be, right? If it's not locked in, I am not going to tell anyone because there's a chance it's not going to happen. And then people are going to ask me, oh, Amy, what happened with blah, blah, blah? And then you've got to explain yourself over and over. I freaking hate that. So <laughs> I'm the same with like, if I'm not feeling great today, I'm not going to advertise it because I just don't want people asking me over and over. Oh, are you okay? How do you feel? Uh, I find it shit. I love wine. <laughs> I think I've made that perfectly clear. I love it. I will feel down and go, oh, let's have a glass of wine. It actually makes me feel worse. <laughs> the following day, I will wake up and just feel like trash, which is a terrible feeling. So again, this is a word that shouldn't be openly and freely thrown around without correct context. Depression is and can be completely debilitating. It's a disorder that is a terrible, terrible space to be in. And like I said, I've experienced it pretty regularly throughout my life. And look, it doesn't get easier. And sometimes it's worse than others. I also suffer with intrusive thoughts. I am not going to actually explain what that is um, because intrusive thoughts can be awfully triggering for those who are in that headspace. So I recommend you do your own research on what that is. What I will say though, there have been plenty of TikToks actually making fun of intrusive thoughts. Uh, I get, you know, they're funny here and there, but they're actually really scary when they're happening. Um, but like I said, tr I'm just going to leave that one there. Um, not going to talk anymore. I've also found my depression has had a lot of peaks and troughs throughout the IVF process that we've been um, on, I think for the last four to five years. Every knockback or every setback in the process is a terrible feeling and it doesn't get any easier. I do want to do an episode on our IVF journey, but to be fair, it's such a hard topic to talk about. So I've really been putting it off. It's just, it's one of those things. I'd love to talk about it to provide awareness and maybe have some people kind of resonate and go, oh shit, that's the path that I've been on and make people feel a little bit better about it. But on the same token, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about it yet. I've had uh, some depression while in the workplace. I find that I have a tendency to absorb energy around me. So I often take on feelings that aren't my own, but then they become my own. It makes me quite reactive. This is something I've been working on for a long time, really only holding my own feelings and not taking on anything from those around me. 
So these are disorders that need to be worked on continuously. There is no fast fix. It takes a lot more to actually work through these conditions. I do hope this has shed a little light on what anxiety and depression truly are. If you are having feelings um, of any of what I've discussed, I highly recommend you reach out to a treatment provider. Don't ignore the feelings. Don't downplay them. You're entitled to your feelings, but you also need to recognize where you actually need help. It's very rare that we can truly manage these conditions independently and without the right support unit. As with every episode, we end with something lighter. Today, I'm just going to respond to a few short questions um, and just give my opinion on a couple of things. Okay, so the first, what is the worst advice I've ever been given? I think I shared this in another podcast. I had a a belligerent manager many, many years ago, and uh, she was just, she was horrible. And she basically said... um, (laughs) So women who are in the workplace already have difficulties and, you know, we're not looked upon seriously. So anytime you're in a room that's full of people, say something. Even if what you're saying is completely stupid and doesn't make sense, say something. Okay. (laughs) That's the worst advice I've ever been given. The worst. Single-handedly. Sitting there in a room and just talking shit pisses people off. (laughs) Don't do that. That's probably the worst. Um, The other are probably things like, um, you know, choices that I've made or choices my husband and I have made and people kind of coming in with advice on those. Don't appreciate it. Um, I don't need your advice. If I ask for it, different story, but most of the time I don't. So yeah, that's probably some of the worst advice I've ever been given. Have I ever stalked someone on social media? The short answer is no. (laughs) Can't be bothered. I really can't. If I don't talk to someone, then that person doesn't exist in my world. Like, yes, they exist in the world, but they don't exist in mine. It's just, if we're not friends, we're not friends. That's that's the bottom line. What is the weirdest food combination I've ever tried? So there's a viral, a viral food combo, I guess you'd call it, going around at the moment. Okay, so in America, they have, well, they're here in Australia. I found one. But they're these massive pickles, like huge pickles, and they come in all these different flavors. So I found one of them, uh, the pickle. I can't remember what it's called, but it's uh, the name of it was Hot Mama. And it's, so it's a massive pickle in pickle juice that's spicy. The food combo is to stuff it with Takis, the Fuego flavor, sprinkle chamoy and tahine, and wrap it up in a fruit roll-up. I did it. It was weirdly good, like super weirdly good. I thoroughly, like there were a couple of bites and I'm like, holy shit, what is this? And then I was like, oh, this doesn't go. And then I was like, but maybe it does. Have another bite. Oh, have another bite. Oh, that doesn't go. Oh, hang on. Maybe it does go. So that's probably one of the weirdest things I've tried. And yeah, I don't mind it. Like it's not too bad. Recommend you try it if you like spice. If I had to save one item in a house fire what would it be? I think maybe the photo albums that my mum gave me of her and my dad, because there's a lot of like really old Polaroids and photos in there. I'd probably also save the crystals that were my dad's as well. Am I a cat or a dog person? 
I'm a cat person. <laughs> yes, we have a dog. But cats, I just get cats. Like, they're grumpy. <laughs> they're set in their ways. They are, you know, they're kind of smart asses. They do dumb shit. They tell you exactly how they feel. They're funny. They're cuddly. They're sweet. Well, mine's not all of that. But I just, I get cats. I get where they come from. I get, <laughs> I just get it. I feel like if I was to be any animal, it would be a cat. It just, I don't know. <laughs> I love cats so much. Um, I got a tattoo of like cat ears and like whiskers in a mouth the other day or, or like a little heart, love heart nose. I love them so much. Like I just love them. Even though my cat can barely stand me, I love him. Like if anything was to ever happen to him, oh my God, I'd be so, so upset. Yes, the dog's great, but I mean the cat... I don't know. I think maybe if I was an animal, I'd be a cat. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was more so educational with a touch of personal experience, but I hope that I've been able to shed some light on both anxiety and depression. Join me next time. When I discuss the topic, am I having a midlife crisis? <laughs> this is a, a much lighter topic. There'll be a lot of laughs, so make sure you drop in. In the meantime, let's hang out on social media. You can hit me up at Aesthetic Vibes Pod. Drop me an email at aestheticvibespodcast.outlook.com. You can visit my website, aestheticvibespodcast.com. Hit me up on TikTok, Dr. Ames Kelly. Oh, that's it. Okay, until next time, bye-bye.